My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. May I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Whenever we come to worship, Scripture says that we are surrounded by the great company of angels and archangels and all the glorious company of the saints, when two, even two or three are gathered. So it's good to remember that this morning. <laughs> even four, yay. Well, this week marks our first sermon on the book of Ruth, and next week will be our last. As we've seen, Ruth is a love story in more ways than one. But this week's chapter is without question the most romantic of the book. It's a strange kind of romance, of course, to our modern ears, and it will require a little bit of digging to recover the depth of what's going on here, but it's romantic enough that the basic drift is plain enough, even a few thousand years on. You'll remember that up to this point in the story, Naomi has been mired in bitterness, despair, and grief at the loss of her husband and two sons. But all of a sudden now, in chapter 3, it's kind of like a switch turns on, and she starts to come back to life again. Last week we saw that Ruth had come home from gleaning in the fields, not just with scraps to stave off their hunger, but with a heaping apron full of barley that was enough to last them for weeks. And when Naomi saw the immense haul that Ruth came home with, her eyes opened up, and she asked her daughter-in-law, where did you get all that? That's not just gleaning, it's practically harvesting. Someone, obviously, has taken kindly to Ruth at a level far beyond expectation. And Ruth answered, it was this very nice man named Boaz, a perfect gentleman who made sure I had all to eat that I wanted and that no one bothered me. And Naomi's ears perked up. Boaz. She had apparently forgotten about Boaz, or at least hadn't thought to tell Ruth about him. But the wheels, I think, started to turn in her mind. Ruth, she said, Boaz is not just a nice man. He is our kinsman redeemer, our guardian redeemer. Do you know what that means? Ruth may or may not have known at that point but I can just see the wheels starting to turn in her mind as Naomi started to piece together the possibilities. This, I think, is where the story starts to sound like a romantic comedy movie, with a little Jane Austen on property inheritance thrown in. I can imagine Naomi thinking about this for a few days, getting more and more excited as she puts together a grand plan. Now, Naomi, we find out, had to sell the family farm and the story doesn't say, but it was probably to repay a loan that they'd taken out during the famine to feed themselves. But the law of Moses says, Naomi was thinking, that if your next of kin, your kinsman redeemer, your guardian redeemer, bought the land, well then he could give it back to your family so that your children can inherit it. He can pay off your debts and keep the land in your family. Hmm. An interesting idea. And, she started to think, the law of Moses also says that if a man dies without children, his brother can marry the widow in order to have more children to pass along the family name. Okay, Naomi was probably thinking here, well, Boaz is more like a cousin, but maybe that's close enough. Maybe this will work. 
if Boaz redeems the debt on our farm and he marries Ruth, well, the land comes back into our family and Ruth can have a son to inherit it and carry on our family name. And I can become a grandma. Baby. I can just see Naomi pacing around the room as she explains all of this, her grand plan to Ruth, getting more and more excited as she goes. This could work, she says. And then all of a sudden, Naomi basically turns, and this is where our chapter starts, she basically turns into Yenta the matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof. That's how I imagine her anyway. <laughs> okay, Naomi, I tell you what you're going to do. I want you to wear your blue dress, not your red one. I want you to get your hair done, put some perfume on. You're going to go down to the threshing floor in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night? Yes, in the middle of the night. He'll be in a good mood then. They stay up drinking until all hours. Make sure you notice where Boaz lies down and hide somewhere until everyone's asleep. And then I want you to... I want you to go and uncover his feet and lie down. Uncover his feet? Yes, Ruth. Uncover his feet. He'll know what it means. It's a strange story, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. You probably didn't know that the Old Testament contains a script here for a 3,000-year-old romantic comedy, but it does. I don't know why Mel Brooks never optioned it. <laughs> I have to admit, reading this part, that commentators disagree on how virtuous Naomi's big plan here. You have to think about it and make up your own mind. All I will say about it is that if I had a daughter, I would probably not recommend that she get all dressed up put some perfume on, and go down to a threshing floor in the middle of the night and lay down at someone's feet. At the very least, your mm, intentions might be misread here, and it could be not good for your reputation in the village, which we see Boaz is quite aware of when he tells Ruth to skedaddle before anyone sees she was there. However we read it, whatever we make of it, this part of the story just seems to me to have a kind of madcap rom-com, I can't believe she's really doing that crazy thing quality to it. She's doing this to get the guy? Is it going to work? But at the heart of this audacious, somewhat ridiculous plan is a marriage proposal. Naomi told Ruth to do whatever Boaz says, but Ruth decides instead here, I think, to take matters into her own hands. She actually proposes to Boaz. Boaz awakes with a start to find this woman lying at his feet in the dark. And he says, what is this? Who are you? And Ruth answers, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Whatever plans Naomi might have had for this part of the story, Ruth now straightforwardly is telling Boaz who she is and just what she's asking for. No tricks involved. She's asking for his hand in marriage and all that comes with it for her family. Taking on the family debt, keeping the farm in the family line, and passing on the family name to her children. Spread the corner of your garment over me, she says. She's actually echoing here the same Hebrew words that Boaz had used a chapter earlier when he'd said, May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward for the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth is saying here to Boaz, 
You asked the God of Israel to spread his wings over my family that we might find refuge in this land. Now I'm asking you to spread your wings over my family to be the way that God will make that come true. You showed favor and kindness to me in the barley field because I had shown favor and kindness to Naomi and her sons. Now I'm asking you to show me and my family the greatest kindness of all. I think that's what's going on here. This cycle of hesed, steadfast love, gracious faithfulness, kindness, that keeps on moving through the story of Ruth like ripples in the pond. I have to say that if the evident patriarchy of the social order in this time and place strikes you as a wee bit or a lot problematic, I sympathize. The Bible is often written out of this or that social reality without intending to justify every aspect of that reality and even pushes back against it. I think we see that here in Ruth's response, excuse me, in Boaz's response to Ruth. Once again, she has made herself, as she has so often in this story, deeply vulnerable, just like when she went out into the fields to glean as a woman on her own in a strange place. There are so many ways that this story could have gone horribly wrong for Ruth at this point, because she really had nothing, and Boaz held all the cards. Ruth was standing there all dressed up, putting it all on the line, offering to pledge her heart and her faithfulness to Boaz, and he could have rejected her. I don't care if it's three years, a thousand years ago, or last week. That, that hurts. The asymmetry of their social standing here is fairly stark. Boaz holds all the cards. He could have done nearly anything, he very well could have dismissed Naomi's madcap plan as a ridiculous ploy for them to get their hands on his money. He could have gotten angry and yelled, What kind of trap are you trying to put me in here? Who is this woman? <coughs> the consequences for Ruth, if that had happened, could have been deep shame or worse. 